All right, with that being said, let's pray. God, we are just once again, uh, we're standing in your presence, opening up your word and praying that you would be exalted, praying that you would be honored as our worship transitions from songs to, um, to studying your word. We pray that you would be glorified. So please have your way with us tonight. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Wednesday nights, what are we doing? We're doing a recap of going through the Bible in a year, right? So last week we covered Thursday to Wednesday, we covered Isaiah chapter 39 through Jeremiah chapter 3. This week we're going to cover Jeremiah chapter 4 through Jeremiah chapter 26. Um, If you're feeling discouraged in life, Jeremiah is a great encouragement because your life is not nearly as hard as Jeremiah's. And uh, so that's what you have really to look forward to this week is Jeremiah is going to have just a a very challenging ministry, but we get to watch uh, the Lord's faithfulness in the midst of that. But this week, um, I want us to look at a couple things. We're going to hop around a little bit. I was thinking today, I wonder if I'll ever stand up and teach on a Wednesday night and not announce that we're going to hop around a little bit. But... um, I don't know that it will happen. But anyways, um, we're going to hop around a little bit. We're going to kind of work in backwards order. So we're going to start in Jeremiah, and then we'll go back into Isaiah. Because um, I was praying about it. It seemed like that's how I wanted us to kind of end up tonight, because I wanted us to be able to focus on the end, some of the things Isaiah says. But, you know, big picture, we're moving through the Bible. We want to keep, you know, the big stuff still present, even as we're looking a little more in-depth on Wednesday nights at specific portions. Um, so Isaiah, we talked about last week, is really overall, if you needed to give it one summary statement, it's, a, it's a, really a sermon on trusting the Lord. And Isaiah is calling people to trust the Lord, to respond to the Lord. And the first half of Isaiah is a lot more of God explaining um, the consequences of not trusting him. Second half of Isaiah, really starting chapter 39, chapter 40, is a lot more of God just explaining who he is and his character, his conduct. Um, and it's really a, just a, a fantastically encouraging portion of Scripture as we get to watch God explain himself. We get into Jeremiah, and it really shifts gears um, pretty abruptly, pretty distinctly. Jeremiah takes place at a later point in time, historically, than Isaiah does. And so the nation as a whole has gotten more depraved. There's more sin. There's less awareness of what the Lord is doing. There's a lot more hypocrisy, even among the religious leaders. Um, and, and really, both of them contain a ton of application for us because we are getting the privilege of living in a world where we see uh, more and more depravity, right? We are seeing a world turn cold to the things of God. We're seeing, uh, in a lot of ways, a church that is not our church, but the church as a whole, or at least the church in our nation, uh, is, is losing its effectiveness. And we're going to... You know, we, we can look at that and say, wow, what a bummer. And, and, you know, we need more programs and more things. Or we can look at it and say, you know what? God has called us to this point in time for a very special reason. And we get the privilege of discovering that process, right? So Jeremiah and Isaiah both had very similar but very different ministries. But they were both called to the people. Called to speak the word of God to the people. And so tonight, uh, we're going to start off in Jeremiah chapter 1. And... Um, It says, we're going to start in verse 4. Verse 1 through 3 just kind of gives the introduction of who Jeremiah is and who he's ascended from. But starting in verse 4, 
It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. And so we got to say, well, I'll go a little further. Then I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak. I'm a youth. Uh, But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. So, you know, point one, as we're going to look, we're always trying to kind of capture the big picture and the little picture at the same time, right? So um, notice that the Lord knew Jeremiah before he formed him, right? Um, and so as this affects Christian, Christianity and Christian thinking, we've got to understand, is to be biblically minded, is to understand that God sees and values each human life even before uh, birth, even before conception. God understands somehow in a way that we don't, which the, the way that the soul and the body are going to unite together in the mother's womb. And so, you know, I mean, I know you guys all, I think this is all pretty straightforward stuff to everybody in the room tonight, but it's just a reminder that, you know, as the world is getting more and more insistent that we should keep our beliefs to ourselves. Okay, there are some things where we need to be able to stand and, and say, here's where I draw a line. Absolutely, period. And there's really no honest way to read the Bible and come to a conclusion other than the fact that God values human life immensely and that he values it from the moment of conception and even before. And so if we're going to be thinking Christians, which is really our goal, right? We do not want to be emotional Christians. Um, emotions can be great. We don't want to be feeling Christians. Feelings can be great in their own way, but they never should define our reality. We want to be thinking Christians who are anchored to the word of God. And so to be thinking Christians, we have to understand that God values human life from the point of conception, right? From before the point of conception. So we as human beings responding to the truth of God's word need to have that same value on human life. But also I want us to notice that it wasn't just that God valued Jeremiah. It was that God called him. And he says, before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Before Jeremiah was even conceived, God knew this guy's got a special calling. Right? And so, as we're looking at this, we've each got to understand that each one of us has that same truth applied to our lives. And you could say, well, wait a second, that might be specific to Jeremiah. But Jesus said in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth, right? So Jesus extended that calling to each one of us. Each and every one of us has been called by God. In 2 Timothy, um, the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to Timothy, if I can find it here, here we go. Um, He tells Timothy to realize this in chapter 3, verse 1, that in the last days difficult times will come. And we know, biblically, we're living in the last days. We've been living in the last days since the day of Pentecost. That's when Peter stood up and said, we're in the last days. And so we know we're in the last days, and so we know difficult times will come. And Paul, as he's going on to Timothy here, um, he goes on and he says, but you, in verse 14, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So God tells Jeremiah, I've got a calling for your life. Jesus tells each one of us, I've got a calling. As Paul is writing to Timothy specifically here, but also applying to all of us, he says, you've got a calling. 
Continue in the things that you've learned. Continue in the scriptures that you've learned. And then he goes on, he says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. And then he goes on, and there's not originally a chapter break, so, so ignore the fact that it now says chapter 4. All right. He said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine and reproof. Now, I solemnly charge you, chapter 4, verse 1, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So Jeremiah had a calling, Timothy had a calling, and all of us have a calling. And our calling revolves around the Word of God and what we're going to do with it, how we're going to respond to it. Are we going to speak the Word of God to a culture that needs to hear the Word of God? Right? And Jeremiah says, God, I'm just, I'm just a youth. I'm not experienced. And God says, wait a second, got to remember something. I saw you outside of time. I saw you before time. You were set apart for me before you were born. So your age is irrelevant. Right? Your experience level is irrelevant to the fact that I have called you. And so for each one of us, we got to understand something. We're called. We are born for war. All right? And sometimes I was, I was listening to a guy this week. He was talking about growing up and, and going to ch children's church. And he's like, man, it just kind of killed me. We'd sing like, you know, I may never march in the infantry ride. And he'd be like... That's it? I'm like, what kind of lame army is this, right? I don't get infantry. I don't get cavalry. I don't get artillery. I don't get airplanes. Like, what kind of army is this, right? And honestly, we've kind of, in some ways, I think, as the church, globally, we've tried to water this down. It's like, well, we're going to be the nice army. No, we're really not the nice army, right? Christianity is not about being nice. Christianity is about understanding who the correct enemy is, Right? Who the correct? Uh, who are the good guys and the bad guys? And it's not the people in front of us, all right? Because Paul said we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against principalities and powers and spiritual forces of darkness. But don't underestimate that to say, well, I'm called to you know um, get married and just kind of do my thing and get a decent job and raise uh, two kids and a dog and, and a you know and a white picket fence and all that. Not that, that any of that's bad, okay? But that is selling it so short, right? Each one of us was born for war. We were created for conflict. And, and we'll get into it a little bit later on tonight, okay? Some of us are going to approach that from different angles, and, and we'll see it from different perspectives. But we're all called to a great and glorious adventure through Jesus Christ. So don't ever think of Christianity as like this boring, you know, nondescript religion where we all try and behave ourselves, Right? Christianity is about the single most exciting, terrifying, fulfilling thing you could ever do with your life. Right? It's not a promise to be easy, but it's a promise to be alive in a way that you will never experience in any other function in life. So that's kind of step one that I want us to think about tonight, is we are called. Okay? But step two, we got to ask ourselves, what exactly are we called to? Right? Because we're called. And anybody, any great motivational speaker can get a group of people to be excited about being called to something. Right? I mean, history is full of great speakers. Adolf Hitler was an amazing public speaker. He could fire up crowds to become just emotionally out of control. Right? 
but they weren't able to then, but then they lost their ability to say, wait, what are we being called to? Right? So, so we're called. We understand that. God is calling us to something. But we have to understand what is it he's calling us to. So to answer that question, I want us to go, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 40. And Isaiah chapter 40 is a really interesting chapter because God describes himself. It's always fascinating you know, if you want to know somebody, you can observe them, you can talk to other people about them, you can stalk them online if that's your thing, right? Um, but really, if you want to know somebody, you're going to have to talk to them. And specifically, you're going to have to let them explain what's important to them, right? You're going to have to let them explain who they are if you want to know them. So whenever God stops to tell us who he is, it's worth taking note of. And in Isaiah chapter 40, we get some of that. And we get a couple specific elements, and, and we won't read the whole chapter, um, just to try and keep a little bit of a, for the sake of tonight, try and keep a little bit of a train of thought moving in the same direction. Um, ideally, hopefully. But uh, in verse 8, we get just one of these little nuggets of God describing an element of himself. He says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The Lord says, okay, you want to know who I am? I'm the guy who, when I say something, it stands. It does not move. It does not change. It doesn't matter if you want it to. It doesn't matter if you don't want it to. My word does not change. Everything else can fall away. Everything else can fail. But the word of the Lord will stand forever. Uh, starting in verse 12, if or jumping down to verse 12, I should say, um, he gives us a whole other little stretch of description. He says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span? You know, when you hold your hand like this, the human hand isn't really designed for holding large amounts of volume, right? Like, we can pick things up with it. But if you ever try and pour water in your hand, you really can't get very much in there, right? A couple tablespoons, maybe, right? God says, Hey, you know, like the oceans, right? Who's the guy who's holding those in his hands? He's asking rhetorical questions, okay? Because the answer is, he is, right? God is saying, I'm the one doing this. So keep that in mind. We're talking about who God is. Who has measured the water in, his, in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span, right? Who says, okay, let's see. We got uh, how many galaxies? Like one, two, three. Okay, all right, that's good. Um, Who's calculated the dust of the earth by measure and weighed the mountains in a balance? Do you know what the mountains weigh? I don't either, but it's a lot. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult and who gave him understanding? Where did God study architecture? Right? Um, he invented it. Right? The Eiffel Tower is based off of the structures in the human bone. All right? When humans want to understand architecture and engineering, more often than not, they turn to the natural world. Why? Because God invented architecture, right? He also invented the laws of physics. So it helps to understand a little bit about what he made work. So who helped God out when it came to creating things, right? Like who was the, you know, the team of engineers to kind of give him final approval? It's a rhetorical question, but, but just, you know, the Lord is asking these things to remind us of just who he is. Who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge? Who taught God the legal system? Who informed him of the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. So 
the nations are like a speck of dust on the scales. And I like this idea because we put so much weight in our current world uh, in terms of what nation is doing what, right? I mean, there's a lot of talk going on right now about, and, and you know, then there should be, because as, as humans, we want to pursue justice, right? The Lord said, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with the Lord. So we want to see justice, and I'm not denying that at all. But we can spend so much brain space on the world, right? Like, what's going to happen with China and their economic policies? What's going to happen with Iran and their nuclear policies? What's going to happen with Afghanistan and the Taliban, right? I don't know the answer to any of those questions. But, um, you know, the Lord, from his perspective, can say, it's like weighing a piece of dust, you ever tried to weigh a piece of dust, right? What's the first thing you notice if you try to weigh a piece of dust? You're going to blow it off the scale, right? You set it there, and then you exhale. And no, it's gone. Shoot, now you got to find it, right? Get your next piece of, get it. Okay. Counting, it didn't show up. It didn't register on the scale, right? The sum total of all the problems facing our earth today don't even register in terms of how much they concern the Lord and his ability to deal with them, right? It's like, it's just not even on his radar. Like, is this a problem? No. God's got it under control. Um, in verse 18, it says, To whom then will you liken God? What are you going to compare a God like this to? What likeness will you compare with him? As for the idol... Since, you, you know, since human beings are obsessed with trying to come up with comparisons, as for the idol, the craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith plates it with gold, and a silversmith fashions chains of silver. And if you're too poor for that, he says, uh, you select a tree that doesn't rot, and you seek out a skillful craftsman, and you prepare an idol that won't totter. Right? The best that human beings can come up with is idols that don't fall over until... You know, they do, right? Now, that's, that's the sum total of our great ability. We build things that don't fall over, right, ideally. And the Lord says, no, no, you don't understand. Like, that's your best. And I can weigh the nations like dust. I can weigh the mountains, right? I can write the laws of the universe, right? We can follow and respond to the laws of the universe. God wrote the laws of the universe. So, um... And then he goes on from there, but, but do you understand who we're, what we're, when I'm talking about we're called to something, right? We're called, this is the God that called us. So, you know, this is the God who told Jeremiah, before I formed you, I knew you, right? And, and it's really hard for us to wrap our heads around because our brains aren't big enough to really comprehend this, but the same God who is this big is also this personal to say, hey, Jeremiah, before you existed, I knew you. Right? Somewhere in between writing the laws of physics and weighing out the mountains, I knew you. In the fullest sense. Not like I knew about you, like I knew you. Better than you know yourself. So, we're called. This is who we're called by. And this really is who we're called to, right? We are called to surrender to the Lord. We're called to be conformed to the image of Christ. This is the God we're called to follow after. So, you know, we're, we're born for war, but it's this really funny irony because why, right? Because God really doesn't need our help at all. 
So, but I want us to go on just a little further because after the Lord gives this whole description of himself, he then gives us the response. And God does this so often where I'll say, okay, here's who I am. Now here's some things you should keep in mind. And that's a great point for us to really pay attention. So in verse 27, he says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, that my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? He says, Guys, if I can do all these things, why are you trying to hide from me? Why do you think you can hide your sin from me? Right? I can carve out mountains, but you think you can do something in secret just because nobody was around and I didn't see it? So, and then he says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? This is a, a pretty familiar passage. The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. So God gives us these, this whole vast description of himself. Right? And, we're, and we're, we're forced to remember, okay, this is the God who has called us. But then he then gives two responses. He says, number one, don't bother hiding from me. It's, it's stupid, right? Uh, number one, don't hide from me. Number two, don't warn your own strength. Right? And this is, this is super critical because we can recognize sometimes that challenge of, okay, I was born to engage. I was born you know, for this opportunity to, to really stand for the truth. And the Lord says, yeah, but the way you stand for the truth, the way you fight is by, how does he say it? He says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. So you can get yourself all psyched up for war and conflict and battle and all that jazz. And then the Lord says, yeah, but just wait on me. Right? Yes, you're called. Yes, I'm the one who called you. But no, you are not called in your own strength. No, you are not called to do this your way. And this is important because, and then, so hold that thought, okay? We're, I'm, it's kind of becoming a pattern, right? So, at least the last two weeks, anyways. So first thought, you're called. Second thought, we're talking about who God is and what he's calling us to, okay? Flip to Isaiah chapter 61. I got to flip there too. Isaiah chapter 61, starting in verse 1. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, and freedom to prisoners, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Now this is a prophecy that Jesus himself read and then said, I just fulfilled this. Okay, so we can look at this and say, this is specifically talking about Jesus. Right? But as we recognize our call to respond to Christ, our call to be like Jesus, we've got to understand this really fascinating thing that I find intriguing that is there's, there's a lot of facets to God. Right? God is kind of complex. He's more complex than any of us. No offense. Um, 
But Jesus sits, stands up and reads this, and, and you think about all that's in here, right? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, or they like to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, right? So if we want to be like Jesus Christ, we get this calling, this privilege, and this responsibility, right? To proclaim good news to the afflicted. To proclaim freedom to the prisoners and liberty to the captives. To heal the brokenhearted. We get the full privilege of that. And you say, wait, that doesn't sound very much like war. Right? That sounds like all like being a nice guy or whatever, right? That does, yeah, you're right, it does. But the same Christ who said that is the same one who went into the temple, flipped over the money tables, and said, you have turned my father's house into a den of thieves. Right? And, and it's this really interesting thing going on here where Jesus has got this personality that we try and put in a box sometimes, right? And, you know, I like how Gail Irwin said, we have this idea of Jesus that he's this white, red-haired guy who walked around holding sheep and looking sad all the time, right? Like, you know, I mean, because all of our artwork makes him look that way, right? But it's like, I think it was more complex than that. So the same Christ, I mean, so think about this as it would apply in our lives, right? We're called to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives, okay? And I think every single one of us could say, absolutely. But if I were to stand up and say, we're called to go into a church and say, you guys have turned this into a tax evasion scheme. That's a little more, you know, awkward, right? So, but here's what's interesting, though. It's, it's the same God. Now, I'm not saying we should go into a church and tell them that it's a tax evasion scheme because uh, I don't have the discernment to know which church that would be, and I'm not sure that that's a... Uh, anyways, you know what I mean there. Um, but here's the interesting thing. A lot of times, as we are trying to respond to Christ... We tend to want to amplify the part of Christ that best fits our personality, right? Some of us are, by nature, more conflict-oriented, right? And we're like, all right, you know, Jesus, I'm sure, would have been into, you know, uh, assault rifles and four-wheelers and motorcycles had he lived on earth in this, in this century, right? So, obviously, you know, I'm going to be, I'm a truth guy, right? You'll hear people say that, like, like, great, like, that sets you apart, right? I'm a truth person. And, um, and what they really mean, or what they oftentimes mean by their application is, I like to focus on the parts of Jesus Christ that make me feel comfortable, or we will also see the other side of the spectrum where somebody's like, you know, I just want to convey how much Jesus loves people and I just want to really be the hands and feet of Christ and I just want to, you know, minister to widows and orphans. And, and that's not bad. That's great, right? But if you're doing that to the exclusion of telling the truth or if you're telling the truth to the exclusion of showing the grace of God, then what we're doing is we are fashioning a God in our own image, and the best we can get with that is a God that might not fall over. Right? Remember in Isaiah 40? 
Right? We're creating an illusion if we think that we can conform God to our personality. And so as God is calling us, because remember, we said right at the beginning, we're called. We said right in the middle-ish that God is the one who called us. Right? God is big, but God is personal. Right? The same God who said, I hold the waters in my hand, is the same one who said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Right? As an individual, I get to proclaim liberty to individuals. And so, so don't try and box God into a personality. But we're called under the umbrella of who God is. Our call is bigger than our personality. I mean, this is... I was telling somebody before church, I said, this is the kind of teaching tonight that if I can really apply everything I'm going to say tonight to my life, it'd be awesome, right? So I'm not saying this like, I have this figured out. But as we are responding to Christ, we have to understand that we are not called to just be bigger versions of ourselves, right? We're called to surrender. Yes, if we're more conflict-oriented, we were born for war, right? And it's okay for there to be a little bit of a thrill in that, like... We get to be part of the army of Christ. That's exciting because that army wins, right? If we have a personality, it's a little more of, you know, I just want to, I just want to apply the love of God. That's fantastic, right? But God did not call us to be comfortable versions of ourselves. God called us to be imitators of Christ. So as we are reading the word of God, as we are seeking to understand the heart and the mind and the character and the nature of God... Can I encourage all of us, myself included, very much included in this, to not try to say, okay, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Okay, so what do I want from God? What do I want God to be? How do I want God to apply to my life? Right? How do I want, how do I want to conform God to my image? Right? And, 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 you know, we all have certain strengths. The body of Christ is meant to be made up of different personalities. Right? And so some people are going to be called to have more of a hands and feet ministry. Some people are going to be called to have more of a conflict ministry. But never, yeah, never to the absolute exclusion of the others. Right? And this is part of why we need the church collectively as a body. This is why we have to gather together. Because we need to balance each other out. Right? The church is the most like eclectic group of nuts in the world. And we need some balance, right? So we need to collectively come together and be conformed to the image of Christ and say, hey, you know, I was reading the Bible and it was talking about ministering to widows and orphans and I want to, you know, do that. I feel like the Lord's calling me to that. And somebody else would say, man, that is awesome. I was reading the Bible and he was talking about calling people to repentance and I want to do that and we can pray for each other and we can go out in the ministries that God is calling us to, right? Because God is equipping us with individual gifts, with individual callings and with individual personalities. We never lose that under Christ. But if we're not careful, we can sell ourselves short by assuming that that's where it stops. And so Christ is not offering us this invitation to just be, you know, he's not, he's not saying, hey Nate, would you just like to be like, awesome version of Nate, right? He's not saying, hey, if you follow Jesus Christ, you can be like Nate on steroids. It's no, no, no. If you follow Jesus Christ, you can be like Jesus Christ, right? I don't want to be Nate on steroids. I don't. I mean, I just really don't. Like, I, I know myself too well. That'd just be awful, 
Okay? I don't want the church to be Nate on steroids. My goodness. That would be scary. Um, I want the church to look like Jesus Christ. I want to look like Jesus Christ. So, yes, there are certain areas where I have certain strengths. There are certain areas where my personality might be an asset, but I can't say, uh, yeah, that's really not my thing. Right? Like, yes, that definitely is a need that the Lord is calling somebody to. Right? Somebody ought to volunteer to take care of that. The Lord is calling us to engage in what the Lord is doing. And for each one of us, that will sometimes include, in fact, that will very oftentimes include stepping outside of our comfort zone. Because we are not called, the Lord did not tell Jeremiah, before you were born, I formed you and I called you to just be the best version of you. Right? What did the Lord say to Jeremiah? As we're wrapping up here tonight. He said, I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Because everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. The Lord said, I called you. Right? The God we talked about in Isaiah 40. He called you. He called me. And he didn't call us to have fun. Right? Fun is great. Fun comes sometimes with the territory, sometimes it doesn't. But that's not what we're called to. We're called to declare the word of God. We're called to have the great and glorious privilege of being soldiers in God's army. We're called to be the hands and feet of Christ. Right? That is what the Lord is inviting us to. And so for each one of us tonight, for each one of us this week, you know, as we'll be reading through the book of Jeremiah, we're going to get to watch a guy who had a calling that was really not all that exciting. But along the way, Jeremiah got conformed into the image of God. Jeremiah became surrendered to the Lord in a way that in the big picture has borne an immeasurable amount of fruit, right? Jeremiah has encouraged people for thousands of years because he was willing to let God call him. He was willing to surrender to the call of God. He was willing to say, you know what, this is not about my comfort zone. This is about what is God wanting to do with his word. And God is inviting each one of us tonight to respond to his word, to respond to his call in our lives. So let's do it. Right? Because you remember who we talked about? The God who holds the waters in his hand? Who, who weighs the nations like scales? Right? The same God who is here to bind up the brokenhearted. Who's here to proclaim liberty to captives and sight to the blind. Right? That God is calling us. He's calling you and me. And I want to respond to that. I want to let that transform and drive and impact every element of my life. I want to let that be the driving force behind every single thing that I do, right? Because we were born for war. And so we're called to a really a, a, just a fantastic adventure of life in Christ, under Christ, right? Conformed to the image of God. That is what we're being invited to. That's what the Word of God is doing in our hearts as we read it, as we respond to it, as we walk in it. So, Lord, we are we're thankful that we're called. God, we, uh, we want to respond to that call. Um,
We want to recognize what it means that we've been called. We want to recognize who you are, the extent of your call upon our lives. God, we want to surrender. We want to let you have the preeminence. We want to let you have full control of our hearts. God, we want to just respond to a God who's as vast as in far-reaching as you are and who's as personal and up close and intimate as you are. God, I pray that you would be glorified in our hearts. I pray that we would live lives surrendered to your will, that we would live lives surrendered to your word. I pray that you would just be exalted in each and every heart in this room tonight. I pray that you would fill us up with your Holy Spirit, guide us and lead us by your word for your glory. And it is in the name of Jesus Christ, our King, our General, and our Savior, that we pray. Amen.